Right, good morning, everybody. When you get a chance, you can find your seats. Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you all. It's good to see uh, everyone here and good to see some new faces as well. So it's, uh, it's always a blessing to be with you all. And um, today, it's, I, you know, I thought about the, the transfiguration and you know, it seemed pretty basic and in a lot of what we've learned in the past. But then as I started studying and started realizing, OK, we're talking about the glory of Christ. And so how in the world am I? going to explain something so glorious, um, but you know, we're going we're gonna to be looking at mainly the, uh, Matthew chapter 17. Um, I'll, I'll be giving a lot of verses, so if you're a note taker, I'll, I'll try to give you some of those references, and if anyone would like a copy of the, my notes or anything, I, I can feel free, to, I can send it to you, so just let me know, and that way you can have all those, uh, those verses for you, so I'll be happy to do that. So... Just thinking about the glory of Christ, um, we, we see that oftentimes we think of Christ's humanity. We think about his humiliation uh, on the cross and his crucifixion. But we often neglect to think about the glory of Christ. Uh, we kind of love those um, looking at Christ and his humanity with the movies, the TV series that um, just show that his, we can relate to him. And th those have some good things, of course, but we're talking about the God of the universe who is glorious. And when we focus on his glory, our lives should be transformed. And um, in, this, in, in this time where we think about how he came and he was in, incarnated, he became, God became flesh. He was God of the universe and man could not save himself. And he came off of his throne and he took on human flesh to be our substitute because only a man could be a substitute for a man to pay the price that I should have paid for. I should have bore the wrath of God. And yet he did this on our behalf. And oftentimes sin can blind us uh, to this reality of who Christ is. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, in whose case the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then John 9, uh, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says this, uh, Lord, I, I believe, uh, this, this man says to Jesus, and he worshipped him, and then Jesus said, for, the judgment, for judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now this is much deeper than just simply religious people that thought they knew God and you know, the, the Pharisees. You think about even the atheists think that they know more than, about God than God. They think they have it all figured out, there is no God, and so they, they think they see, they think they're woke, but they're not. They actually don't see, they're blinded, and in turn, those who are blind and, and sinful and acknowledge their sinfulness, he opens their eyes and can see. And just as the great hymn that we love to sing, I once was blind, but now I see. And 
We see in 2 Corinthians 3.16, and whoever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away and they see who Christ is. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, the secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that they may do all the words of His law. In John 1.14, the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and He and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was truly man, fully man, truly God, fully God. He, he was all divine, and at the same time, He became human to be our substitute, and yet He did not, he did not lose His divinity when He was... Um, performing miracles and casting out demons. Of course, he had compassion on the people, and he was doing this because of compassion, but more so it was to show I'm more than a man. Then Isaiah 53 says that he was nothing to look at in his appearance, that he, there was nothing about him in his outer physical appearance that would have said, there's something special about that man. It was something about what he said and the way he communicated and the love he illuminated that even, was, even his glory was... Re- concealed. There was something about him. And the Lord Jesus is one eternally divine person who will forever possess two distinct yet inseparable natures, one divine and one human. He's our high priest interceding on our behalf right now. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to appear, Jesus our Emmanuel here. In Romans 11.33, Paul describes the glory of Christ this way, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. And so before we get to the transfiguration, you have to get to the chapter before, chapter 16. And Jesus comes to the disciples and He says in chapter 16, verses 13 through 28, and He comes to the disciples and He says, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? Who, who do the people say, what are they saying about me? And the disciples say, well, some are calling you John the Baptist, and some are calling you Jeremiah and Elijah and one of the other prophets. And then he switches it up on them. He says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? You, you claim to be my disciples, but who do you say that I am? And we see that Peter goes and he says, see, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he warns the disciples not to mention this at this time. He goes and foretells his death and his resurrection because there's a connection there to the transfiguration. And he then goes and says, all right, I'm about to die. I'm going to rise again. But if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. In other words... Give up everything for me. Are you willing to do that? And then he says, what profit does it demand to gain the whole world and lose the soul? And then here we see this interesting transition. Right before the transfiguration in verse 27 in chapter 16, it says, for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father and with His angels. And then He will repay each one according to His deeds. This is what He's trying to say. You think I'm just a man. You think I'm just a prophet. You think I'm, uh, you, you, you're limited in what, who I really am. 
But I am going to come back in all my glory and every knee will, will bow and every tongue will confess and everyone will see me and I will judge them based off of their deeds. I will separate the sheep from the goats. And Mark 8.38 goes further. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me, <clears throat> ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then in verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Here we see this, that the disciples, they are about to see in the transfiguration this kingdom coming. It, it, we're in this kind of limbo where the kingdom is here and yet the kingdom is coming. There's this fulfillment yet to be made when he comes back for his bride and he judges the earth and he restores the heavens and the earth to all of his majesty and glory. And so we, he's saying that you're going to see a taste of this in, in, the, in the coming days. Six days later leads us into chapter 17 of Matthew. Six days later, Jesus brought with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them to the high mountain. And they were by themselves. And six days is a, usually a period of preparation for receiving revelation. We kind of see this in Exodus 24, 16, and it says, The glory of Yahweh dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And both Moses on Sinai and Elijah on Horeb, and, and these are found in Exodus as well as in 1 Kings 19, were given this vision of God's appearance, this uh, pre-incarnate Christ that came in, his, in the presence in the mountains. And Luke gives a little bit of additional details about this scenario right now. In Luke 9, 28, he says that Jesus went up with his disciples to pray. That he, it was probably the evening when the transfiguration happened. He went up, he often would pray in the evening. And prayer is such an important thing, and it's so hard for us, speaking for myself as well, that... We often are just like the disciples. It goes on to say in verse 32, And now Peter and his companions had become overcome with sleep. And you see the same scenario in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is about to be arrested. And he says, don't stay up, pray, don't fall into temptation. And what do they do? Fall asleep. We often do that. And we, when, we, when we don't pray and we don't get in God's word, we often miss out on the beauty of Christ and his ben benefits. When we take our eyes off of the object of our faith, Christ, we often fall into temptations and fall into um, discontentment and all sorts of things. But then when they woke up, and it says when they were fully awake, they saw the glory and, the two, and two men standing with him. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. Just think about the sun and you know, people that are into science. Just know how the, the intensity of the sun. And here, his face was shining like the sun. His garments became as white as light. And transfigured means the change in form. It's the Greek word that Paul uses when he refers to us in Romans uh, and 2 Corinthians to describe the present work that's being done in us. He uses the same word for the transfiguration, saying you're being transfigured within yourself little by little until the day when you're glorified, when you'll be free from sin and you'll be just like Christ in the sense that you'll be sinless. In Romans 1.20, 
It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his internal, eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. In other words, there's no such thing as an atheist. It's all around us. We know it. We, there's evidence there's a God. They, they, they can't deny it, and yet they try to suppress the truth like a ball in the water, and they try to push it under the water, and it pops back up. They can't deny it. And in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, the Word, Jesus, and it was a Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that, was, that has come into being. In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In Colossians 1, 15-17, Jesus is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in heavens and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, Jesus Christ, and for him, Jesus Christ. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's our Jesus. And then John Owen once said in a, a book, The Glory of Christ, he said, By beholding the glory of Christ by faith, we shall find rest for our souls. Our minds are apt to be filled with troubles and fears and cares and dangers and distresses, ungoverned passion and lust. By these, our thoughts are filled with chaos, darkness, and confusion. But where the soul is fixed on the glory of Christ, then the mind finds rest and peace. And then we go and we see in verses 3 and 5 through 5, we see Christ in the Old Testament and his fulfillment of it. It says in verse 3, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, talking with him. And we get a little bit more information in Luke and in his account in 9 uh, verse, verses 30 through 31. He says that they were speaking about his departure, which is about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. In other words, his death and resurrection and his ascension. And Luke is the only one that reports about this conversation. And these, the Old Testament prophets, Moses and Elijah, hanging out with Jesus on this mountain, and they're talking about his, his exodus. That's a literal word for departure is exodus. And think about that, Moses and what he did. That Moses went and told the people of God, if you want to be protected from the wrath of God, cover your house with the blood of the lamb and the death death angel passed over them the passover and protected them from the wrath of god and then he exits them out of the out of slavery into the promised land jesus did the same thing for us that he went and by his blood covered us to protect us from the wrath of god that we deserve and took us out of slavery out of slavery of sin and is leading us to the promised land. This place is not our home. We are, we are meant to dwell with him for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. 
And so we see that they're discussing this this death and and resurrection, and we see that Christ is the greater Moses uh, who would take the people out of uh, and cover them with the blood of his of, of of his own blood and leading them to sli- out of slavery of sin into the promised land into the eternal glory and then we see Christ in the Old Testament Moses was the giver of the law and Elijah was, represents the prophets Luke twenty four twenty seven says this it's very interesting this is right after the resurrection of Christ and he he's he's concealing his identity to these disciples that are on the on this road, and he says to them, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Now at that time, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He's talking about all the things that were written about him in the Old Testament. And we see that God walking with Adam in the garden, Jesus, the the image of the invisible God, walking with them in the garden. Abraham, in Genesis 18, we see the, the angel of the Lord, and we see Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks. And Yahweh said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a son when I'm so old? Is there anything too difficult for Yahweh? And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. We see Christ in his pre-incarnate state coming and appearing to Abraham. Hagar, in Genesis 16, 7-13, Now the angel of Yahweh, when you see the, the angel of Yahweh, we, oftentimes it's the pre-incarnate Christ, and she is found by the spring of the water. And moreover, the angel of Yahweh said to her, I will greatly multiply your seeds so that they will be too many to be accounted. And then she called by the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. You don't say that to an angel. You don't worship an angel. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. And she says, You are a God who sees. And and for she said, I have seen I have, and I have even remained alive after seeing him. That is glorious. Even in his concealed state, she acknowledged that it is amazing that I'm even alive, that I have come in, into your presence. Jacob, in Genesis 32, 24 through 30, Jacob was left alone. A man was wrestling with him and until the breaking of dawn. And so he said, and so this man says to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he says, and no longer be Jacob, it's Israel. And then, for you have striven with God. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Moses in Exodus 3, 5 through 20, uh, 5 and 2 and through 5, excuse me, the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in the blazing fire in the midst of the bush. And what was the result? He said, remove your sandals for your feet, uh, from your feet for this place which you're standing is holy ground. And in Israel, we see Exodus 14, through 9, 14, 19, the angel of God who had been going before them in the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of the cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Fifty times the angel of the Lord appears in the Old Testament. Jesus revealing himself. The fourth man in the, the furnace with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and it said, and he looks like the Son of God. 
Jesus in the Old Testament. In John 1.45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish the Old Testament. No, I have come to fulfill it. That is the beauty of Christ, even in its concealed state in the Old Testament. And here, Moses and, and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, are standing with Jesus. And Jesus is in all of his glory. In verse 4, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good to be here with you. If you wish, I will make three booths. And one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter had a habit of often saying things without thinking. And here we're seeing Jesus in all of his glory. We're seeing some dead guys in all their glory as well being revealed. And we see that he didn't understand the glory of Christ. Moses and Elijah don't deserve honor. They don't deserve booths or tabernacles of worship. And, and only Christ deserves that. That was the whole point of it. And he didn't get it. And Matthew 16, 15 says, And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here he doesn't realize, You only deserve the worship. He's saying, I'm going to build some tabernacles of worship for these other guys. And so God the Father speaks, correcting Peter and the disciples as, as, they, as, he, as, he's, you, and, uh, as they will be the ones that he will build his church after Christ ascends to the throne. And this heavenly declaration is a high point of divine revelation concerning the identity of Jesus. Just as God had revealed himself in, in Sinai, and now he reveals himself in the one who speaks through his beloved son, he goes in verse 5, while they were still speaking. So while Peter is still speaking these, this, we'll say, nonsense, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The Moses no longer is alive. He was the law. Elijah, he's not here. Jesus is the greater prophet. He's the greater lawgiver. Listen to him and him alone. In Deuteronomy 18.15, uh, Moses writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, Yahweh will raise up a prophet. Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, says Moses, from among you, from your brothers. You shall listen to him. So we're seeing the fulfillment of even the words that Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God, having spoken long ago to fathers and the prophets in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him also he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power, who having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is our prophet, priest, and our king. And then I say to you today, look to Christ. And you see in verses 6-9, through nine, the disciples heard this and they fell to their faces and they were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them. This is, this is a representative also of what you see in Isaiah uh, chapter 6. 
And Isaiah sees this vision of, of God's glory. And, the, the, and it says that the seraphims had six wings and that they would have two wings that would cover their eyes because they were, God was so holy they couldn't see his face. And two to cover their feet because they're on holy ground. And two to fly. And they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the, of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called out. And while the house of God was filling with smoke, then I said, Isaiah saying this, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. And the gospel confronts our sins. And oftentimes we have to give the bad news before we get to the good news sometimes. It confronts our sins, leaving us help, help, helpless and broken and afraid. But then you see what Christ does. It says that Christ came over to them. He touched them. He said, get up. Don't be afraid. We see that he does that. He touched them and he said, don't be afraid. And he seeks us out and he says, you're, you're broken over your sins and rightfully so, but I paid the price for those sins and I've covered them with my blood and I've come to change your heart and transform you from the inside and reconcile you to God and to bring you out of slavery and out of enmity with me and now reconcile you to my Father and one day we will spend eternity together. And then we see in verse 9, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, don't tell the vi of this vision until, until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And after Peter declares Jesus to be Christ in Matthew 16, 20, he said the same thing to them. And after his resurrection and ascension to heaven, the disciples testified of what they witnessed. And I just wanted to give you some of these witness accounts after his, after his ascension. Uh, we see that he speaks through his spirit and his word. Peter goes and says this in 2 Peter 1, 16-21. For we did not make known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, following cleverly devised myths, but being eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's, he's telling the testimony of what he witnessed during the transfiguration. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven. And we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have as more sure a prophetic word. We don't need Moses. We don't need Elijah. We don't need anything else. We need Christ. For which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Know this first and all, and of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever been made by the will of a man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And then we see that he sovereignly reigns. Stephen, in Acts 7, 54, he's about to be stoned and they're furious. And the... the Saul, who will one day become Paul, is there holding the, the cloaks of the people about to stone this young man. 
and they were gnashing their teeth at him. And he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he gazed intently into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he is working to redeem his people. Paul, in Acts 9, 3-5, he was traveling down his road. He just was participating in the murder of the first martyr of the church. And he's on the road of Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What you do to the church, you do to Christ, his bride, his body. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And then we see that he'll bring justice. John, the one that Jesus loved, that would lean up against Jesus, and he was his, his best friend. But even when he sees him in all of his glory, you don't react like you just did when he was in his a concealed state. Revelation 1, 7 through 18 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And his head and his hair was like white as snow, like the snow. His eyes were, were like a flaming flame of fire. His feet were like furnished bronze. And when it, was, when it has been made uh, to glow like in a furnace... And his voice was like the sound of many waters, and having in his right hand seven stars and a sharp two-edged sword, which comes out of his mouth, and his face was like the sun, shining in power. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, just like he did in Transfiguration. And he said, Do not fear, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. The transfiguration gives us a glimpse of this his future glory when he returns to bring justice and gather his people and restore all things. Right before the transfiguration, Jesus said in 1627, Son of Man is going to come in his glory of the, of the glory of the Father and his angels and will repay each one by his own deeds. And if you're ashamed of me in this life, I will be ashamed of you in, the, in that time when I return. And I will say, depart from me. I don't know you. And those who are in Christ, who are not ashamed of me, I will bring them the glory. Psalm 97, 1-6 says, Yahweh reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and dark Thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of Yahweh, at the presence of the Lord of all the earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. And John's witness is also a hope to the believer because we see in 1 John 1, uh, through four, what was in the beginning, and what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, and what we beheld and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which has 
which was with the Father, had, uh, which was with the Father, and manifested to us what we have seen and heard. We proclaim to you also, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and the, His Son Jesus Christ. And these things we are writing, so that your joy may be, be complete. And then, just looking at the, how can what can we take from all this? There's a lot we can take from this. We can see that when we are in our helpless state and we're falling into sin and we're struggling and we see a world in chaos and we see all these things, we know that when we look to the glory of Christ, we can trust that he has the whole world in his hands and he's sovereignly working all things and he's, he's working in your life. He's working in, in the, 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 using all situations of the world to, to redeem his people and draw them to himself and one day he will return and we will see him as he is. We cannot completely comprehend his glory nor the richness of the mystery of our adoption as children until the day we see his face. John says this in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. Just think about that. You were a slave to sin. You were an enemy of God. And now you've been adopted as his child. He says in Ephesians 2, you were a child of wrath. But now he says you're children of God. And we are. And for this reason, the world does not know us. Because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been manifested yet what we will be. We will know that when he is manifested, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. When Christ returns... And those who have been taken before us and are in glory right now are seeing Christ as he is in all of his glory. Heaven is heaven because he's there. And we will one day be like him. We're not going to be gods, but we will be free from sin, glorified bodies. This body that you have right now will one day be restored to perfect health, free from sin, free from all the things that we, the struggles that we've had, and we will be like him, and we will see him, and we will dwell with him. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. Just think about that. He fully knows us that in spite of knowing all of our hidden sins and all the things and all that we've done in our lives and all of our past, that he still fixed his love upon us, took on human flesh, came and dwelt with us, obeyed the law perfectly on our behalf, doing what we could not do, took upon himself the wrath that we deserved so that we could be adopted, filled with the Spirit, and one day glorified with him. And then it says, Now... Even now, he is transforming us one day, and one day we'll be like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
are now being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, from the just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Our hearts must burn within us as we see the glory of Christ in the gospel. As we see the unfolding Christ throughout redemptive history, all of history is redemptive history. Jesus is redeeming a people. Everything is pointing, all the things in the Old Testament were pointing towards him. And now it's coming to its fulfillment. And let our love and our commitment grow strong, our worship even more authentic, our preaching more Christ-centered, our lives more Christ-like. From Genesis to Revelation, we find Christ. He is the creator, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer from slavery, the one who nourishes and preserves his people through the desert of the sinful world. He is the heart regenerator, the sin justifier, the soul purifier, the Satan head crusher. And Jesus would come again to restore creation and make us anew, wiping away every tear from our eyes and cleansing and clearing our vision to see him face to face. It is it's as though we see through clouded glass. Our eyes cannot see past. This veil of our tears, our present pain, this world can never comprehend. A love that will not end. The light that always will remain. For there beyond the edge of time, his wisdom so divine, the throne of truth, the shining way, and soon in majesty he'll come. He'll take his people home, and in that glory, and in that bright and glorious day, we will see him as he is. The Father of God is so holy, the truth in endless glory. We will see him as he is, the wisdom of all ages, the love that died to save us. We will see him, we will see him. Now all creation groans, at times we feel alone. We long to see our Father's face, for there the shadows disappear. Our eyes will then be clear to see the beauty of his face in that place. For we will see him as he is, the Father God so holy, the truth in endless glory. We will see him as, his, as he is, the wisdom of the ages, the love that died to save us. We will see him as he is. And so fix your eyes upon the beauty and the glory of Christ, and you will find peace. I mean, to know that not only in this life will you find peace, but you will have it for all of eternity. And for those that don't know Christ, turn to him today. Repent and believe, and you will find that peace. And if you need anyone, if you would like to speak with us, we're here to speak with you about that. But today is the day of salvation. And so let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning that we can come together and talk about something that's so uh, deep and profound and difficult to describe and explain, but we are so grateful for Christ and what he has done on our behalf. We're so, we so thankful for the blood that he shed on our behalf and that he adopted us, that you have adopted us as children and that we will one day see you face to face. Father God, I pray that you would encourage people that have heard this and that this message will stick with them for all of eternity, that they would look to Christ, cling to Christ, depend on you for all things, and to know that one day we will all be together face to face with our Savior, and we will be as he is. 
We pray this in Jesus' name.